A lot of people over the centuries have wondered why it is that Jesus exclaimed, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just before his death on the cross. Many have argued that by quoting just the first line of this psalm, Jesus is invoking the entire psalm, which starts out sounding very desperate and hopeless, but later in the psalm we read this, But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me. You who fear the Lord, praise him, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when I cried to him. We see that by quoting the first line of this psalm, Jesus might well be communicating the fact that he's not given up hope. He knows that God the Father has not abandoned him, and in fact, Jesus wants us to know that God always answers when we call. God will hear. We will be rescued no matter how gruesome our situation may be. We remember that this psalm was intimately familiar to those believers and to Jews who were within earshot of Jesus as he lay dying on the cross. And that includes us. In fact, that psalm continues with this. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over nations. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness. We see that Jesus not only knew that he was not alone, that God had not abandoned him, he knew that God is dependable. As a result, Jesus wants us to know that like him, we, and all the peoples of the world, should proclaim God's righteousness to all who are within earshot. It was very common for Jesus, as well as the great evangelist, Paul, to communicate complex ideas simply by referencing Old Testament scripture. He might well have been doing this here. But there's another interesting aspect about this passage from Matthew, where Jesus cries out on the cross. As he says this line, there are people who apparently and mistakenly believe that Jesus is saying something different, that he isn't reciting a psalm. Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. I won't get caught up in the details of translating Jesus' Aramaic to Greek in the New Testament and then to English in New Testament translations, but the English Standard Version says this, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet 
Elijah. We're told that when Jesus says, Eli, Eli, Lima, Sebechtani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? There are people who think he's saying, Elijah, Elijah, why are you abandoning me? To be precise, Eli means God, not my God. But that's a minor issue. The real point is that because Jesus is under great duress while in agony on the cross, his voice might not be that clear, and people might think he's calling out for Elijah. But if his voice is hard to understand, why would people somehow tend to think he was saying, Elijah? Why Elijah? Here's some background. Elijah prophesied in the 800s BC, and he served under King Ahab. Ahab's queen was the notorious Jezebel, who was a pagan and encouraged other Israelites to turn away from God. At extreme risk to his life, Elijah led an effort to counter Jezebel's efforts. Elijah ended up going into the Judean desert to die when he believes that he's failed at revitalizing the faith of his fellow Israelites. But God tells them that he's actually been successful. Elijah has ensured that a core of Israelites, some remnant, 7,000 people were told, which is a number that represents perfection in the Bible, have been saved from paganism. Against incredible odds, Elijah has courageously saved his people from descending into paganism. And importantly, Elijah does not die. He ascends into heaven, just as Jesus would do hundreds of years later. This is what we're told in 2 Kings. Elisha, by the way, would succeed Elijah as prophet. Fifty men from the group of prophets went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. The river divided, and the two of them went across on dry ground. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do to for you before I am taken away. And Elisha replied, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I am taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. As they were walking along and talking, Suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried off by a whirlwind into the heavens. The book of Malachi, the last book of our Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, ends with this statement. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Many have taken these words to mean that Elijah's powers 
will persist long after his death, and in fact until the end of time. I'm not convinced that this is a correct interpretation of his words, but certainly people over the centuries have concluded that Elijah is like Jesus in this regard. In sum, many of the people surrounding Jesus when he died were well aware of who Elijah was, a great prophet who was in many ways associated with Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, John the Baptist is imprisoned by Herod, and then Herod has John the Baptist beheaded. This is what Jesus says about John the Baptist. I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Before John came, all the prophets and the law of Moses looked forward to this present time. And if you're willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah, the one who the prophets said would come. Jesus says that John the Baptist is Elijah, or that John is as great as Elijah. This statement is important. In Jewish scripture, Elijah is said to be someone who would come just before the Messiah would come to save the Israelite people. This is what we read in the Gospel of Matthew. But the people surrounding Jesus as he lay dying on the cross would not know this because the gospel had not yet been written. Many of the people standing around Jesus and who thought that he was calling out for Elijah didn't know who he was. Consider who was at the cross when Jesus died. Mary, his mother, Mary of Clopas, Mary Magdalene, two criminals who were crucified, Roman soldiers, chief priests, and Jewish leaders, some of his own disciples, and a large number of unnamed people. Most of them did not know that they were seeing the Savior dying. Some of the people who yelled out that he was calling for Elijah knew that Jesus had claimed to be the Messiah, and they were probably mocking him. If they were familiar with Jewish scripture, and knew that Elijah was supposed to usher in the Messiah, they would have been taunting him, saying, Hey, Elijah can't help you, you fool. Many other people were probably struggling to figure out what was going on. They might have thought that since Jesus was shouting out for the one who was supposed to open a path for him, Jesus was wrong about himself. Elijah hadn't come, and so Jesus was not the Messiah. Here's the real point. Of all the people standing around the cross at the time that Jesus was crucified, only a small handful were fully convinced that he was the Messiah. Even those people were likely to not understand that he wasn't an earthly Messiah. As recently as his ride on a donkey into Jerusalem, the people laying down palm branches for him were yelling, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna means save us now. At the end of his life, his followers, those who believed in him, thought that he was going to push the Roman Empire aside and create a new Jewish theocracy.
let's pause. This is Good Friday. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's dying slowly in agony. He's using the last of his strength to lift his torso up with his feet so that his lungs can fill with air. His shoulders have quite likely been dislocated. He is moments from death. He cries out in a partially inaudible voice, Eli, Eli, Lima, Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the people around him are mocking him. Others are confused, trying to figure out who he is, why he's calling for the one who's supposed to come before him, why he hasn't destroyed the Roman Empire. But we are blessed. As we stand here today at the foot of the cross, we know what he said. We know who he is. We know what kind of kingdom he's brought into the cosmos, a kingdom of empathy, love, peace, forgiveness, and kindness offered to all people by God and by us. Jesus is God. He is the Messiah. He's here to offer himself up symbolically to atone for the evil we bring into this world. That's the message to carry away today on Good Friday. We know who Jesus is, and we can celebrate this right now.